how you doing, Scott? Doing all right. Good. Good to see you here. And Jonathan, Jonathan, our webcast engineer, who is not our webcast engineer, I am today. <laughs> Jonathan is going to be presenting some information that we're going to talk about today. Uh, Jeff, Jeff, you're with us today too, but strange happening on your video. What's happening on my video? Oh, it's gone. It was just a picture in front of you on your shoulders of the video, but now it's good. It's looked good. Glad to have, glad to have you here, Jeff. Okay, thank you. Good to be here. Uh, if you're coming in on the Zoom app, um, we are uh, looking for your comments and questions and feedback on what we're talking about. So use the Q&A button and um, give us your uh, questions and comments. We have a very interesting topic today. If you're watching us on the Bible Quest YouTube channel, I'm monitoring that as well. So go ahead and put your comments there. We hope that you'll participate in the conversation. Um, I think I took care of everything else. So today, one of the questions that came up was anonymous. And let me read it, though, exactly as it was said, because it's <coughs> interesting. Hold on a second. Just give me a second to find it right here. All right, let me put it over here. Come on, load. Okay, here's my question. For the Tuesday Bible Quest crew, what are your thoughts on the actions of Elisha, or Elisha, however you want to say it? I've been saying Elisha lately, but we know who he is, the prophet Elisha. And the children, in verses uh, 2 Kings 2, 23 and 24, um, and this is a, a good question because you'll hear, let me hit the stop share on that for a minute, because you'll hear... Uh, Critics of the Bible make statements about this particular story and other stories like it. And so it's, I think it's a very good question, timely question. And uh, Jonathan, you have some information you want to uh, share with us on that? Uh, yeah, so recently recently we talked about this in our church, um, this story um, in Second Kings 2. And like you said before, um, it's, it's a really it's interesting story. Um, I'll just get, if one of you guys, if one of you guys have your Bible and, and want to read that, it's just three verses. It's in Second Kings chapter 2. Uh, starting in verse 23, and it goes down through the end of the chapter. But one of you guys want to read that really quick. And then he went up from there to Bethel, and as he was, this is talking about Elisha, or as you said, Drew, Elisha, Elisha. Then he went up from there to Bethel, and as he was going up by the way, young lads came out from the city and mocked him and said to him, Go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. And when he looked behind him and saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Then two female bears came out of the woods and tore up 42 lads of their number. And he went from there to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. Yeah, so, so it's, a, it's a strange story. Um, and I was, I was reading an article recently. I've heard this story explained um, before some years ago, but I was reading an article um, recently that had to do with, with uh, what they called the Bloody Bible. Um, and um, it was written by a nonbeliever, by a Bible skeptic. And what he said in there, and I'll, I'll paraphrase what he said, is basically the Bible presents a capricious, cruel God who kills babies, destroys entire nations, would wipe out the entire world with the flood, um, would um, ask for uh, or would consume two people with fire for worshiping incorrectly, um, and who would use animals to kill small children. Um, and, and that's the kind of God, the picture of God that you get in the Bible, what this, what this article said. And he said, if real Bible believers really believed in the Bible, why don't they talk about the bloody Bible or preach the bloody Bible? 
Um, and that's a really good question. Um, I've personally, uh, I can't remember very many times that I've talked about this story um, with Christians uh, in Second Corinthians or any other stories like that. Um, but stories like this, like you said, Drew, stories like this exist in the Bible. There are stories where, where it seems like um, cruel things are happening. Um, with Nadab and Abihu, he was one of those other stories that he mentioned, or with the flood that destroyed the earth. Um, and those stories. And so uh, we're just going to break down this story um, today. I'll start sharing my screen, make sure that I have this right. Um, but what I think is important um, in all those stories um, is understanding the context of all the stories, because stories like this are not in isolation in the Bible. They're not just something that happened and then you move on, um, even though it may seem like that when they're presented um, by non-believers, that they're just stories in isolation. Um, but there's a, a context to this story and other stories like that. And so um, so we were going to talk about that um, about that today. Um, so I just want to go through really quick before we actually get to that story, um, just go through the background of what happens um, in this story. Um, and I don't know if we have time to read this entire chapter, but we can hit these points um, as we go along here. And you guys can, um, can come in um, whenever you have a comment. Um, but in the beginning of the chapter, uh, in 2 Kings chapter 2, starting in verse 1, Elijah is the prophet. It's important not to get these two mixed up while we're doing this. Elijah is the prophet um, who was established by God to be the spokesperson for him. Um, he was uh, a prophet that hated idolatry. We know different stories about him. Um, and on Mount Carmel, whenever he had um, his, uh, his bout with the prophets of Baal, and he called down the fire from heaven and uh, consumed the sacrifice, and then he single-handedly killed the 400 prophets of Baal and sent them um, or uh, then was his life was threatened by Jezebel. Um, but he is the prophet before Elisha. And Elisha is kind of his, his protege. Um, Elijah is mentoring him and, and grooming him to be the next prophet um, for God. Um, and so he's leaving. And so in Second Kings chapter 2, verse 1, it says, The Lord was about to take Elijah up into heaven by a whirlwind. Um, and Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. So Elijah's getting ready to go. And the next few stories that happen are really interesting. So um, stories. trying to interject something right there, John. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, go ahead, Scott. I'll, I'll just go read the text. And yeah, read it, but I'll go ahead and uh, pick up where you left off. So, yeah. So start well. Start with work verse one again. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha went on the way from Gilgal, and Elijah said to Elisha, "Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel." But Elisha said. As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you not know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? He said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Yeah. And and so then the same thing happens again. That happens when they're in, when they're at Bethel. The same thing happens again when they go down to Jericho. Um, Elijah, they go to Jericho, and Elijah says to Elisha, that's in verses 4 um, through, uh, I think, verses 4 and 5. They get there. Elijah says that, I'm going to leave. Please stay here. Elisha says, as the Lord lives, I will not leave you. The sons of the prophets come out again and say, do you know that your master is going to be taken from you? And Elisha says, yes, I know. Um, keep quiet or, or be still, some translations will say. And so what's happening, how I, how I understand it, these sons of the prophets, as they're making their way to uh, on the other side of the Jordan River, where they'll eventually go to, um, the sons of the prophets are coming out of these cities. Um, and what I understand, the sons of the prophets, this is kind of um, uh, people who were in training to be spokespeople for God. Um, they were coming to Elisha, and they were saying, 
do you know <laughs> that Elijah, your master, your friend, is going to be taken up? And obviously, Elisha already knows that, but there's some skepticism, it seems like, and, and that'll be more clear as we get to the end of what happens in the story. But there's, so, go, yeah, I'm go sorry. Ahead. So kind of big picture, big picture what's going on here is, as you said, the question is, I mean, Elijah was this well-known, well-established prophet, this well-known spokesman for God. Mm-hmm. And the question is, should we listen to Elisha the same way? Is he, does he follow in those steps? And they're, they're friends. And, of course, right. what you see big picture is there's a parallel here between uh, these two guys and John the Baptist and Jesus. There's several mm-hmm. miracles that Elisha performs that are like the miracles Jesus performs. Well, John the Baptist was a recognized prophet of God, mm-hmm. and he points to Jesus as Elijah's pointing to Elisha, really. He points to Jesus, and there were people who doubted that Jesus was the, the messenger from God, even though they had believed John was. Mm-hmm. And so the big picture, you've got that parallelism going on. I think a lot of times people who pluck out these little stories that they feel picture God as capricious and vindictive and so on, you know, not, not to nitpick here, but early on said, well, that's a good question. I really don't think it is a good question when they say, uh, why don't we study these things and see how God's a capricious God and so on. Those questions come from people who have gone through and they, if they had read enough Bible to come across all these stories that they're picking out, they would understand what's going on here or could understand what they're going, but they're not interested in understanding what's going on big picture. They're interested in picking out a, an individual story to try to make God look bad, but go on. This is an important study. So let's see what we yeah. find out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's kind of, that's kind of the point of, of this whole lesson or this whole uh, discussion is seeing that, that these little stories, what happens whenever you meet somebody that picks out these stories is they pick out one little two or three verses, this story that's in question that we're talking about is three verses um, in, in the whole book of Second Kings and in the whole Bible. Um, and it's surrounded by a lot of information that really puts it into perspective. Um, but um, so there's a lot of skepticism surrounding Elisha, like we said, um, in the next verses and in verse six. Um, but why don't we just go ahead and read so we have all the text. Um, we want you guys want to read verse six um, in chapter two through uh, verse 12. Okay, I got it this time. So then Elijah said to him, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on and 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up and struck the water and it was divided this way and that this way and that. And so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Elisha said, please let, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And so he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened as they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried out, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. And so he saw him no more. And he took him and took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. Yeah. So 
even Elisha at this point, there's, there's at least Elisha realizes that Elijah is obviously a great prophet. He's done a lot of great things through the power of God. And he realizes that he's going to be the next person. And so he has this bold request where he asks, I need, I need a double portion of your spirit. If I'm going to fill your shoes, um, that's what I need to do. So he asks that big request. Um, and Elijah says that, that basically that's not mine to give you. Um, that's God's to give. But if God gives it to you, you will see me going up uh, into heaven. Um, and so Elisha sees that. He sees Elijah go up in the chariot. Um, and there's speculation. We don't have to talk about that. There's speculation. If he went up in the chariot or if he went up in the whirlwind, um, that doesn't really matter. The point of the story is Elijah went up into heaven. He was taken up into heaven by God. Um, and his uh, cloak came back down or his cloak was left on the earth. And Elisha took up that cloak. And and to show, um, just to emphasize this point, that Elijah is the prophet of God and that Elisha becomes the, the prophet of God, the next prophet of God. The statement that he makes about Elijah whenever he leaves, or that statement that he, that he makes in seeing Elijah leave is in verse 12, where he says, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. That's a really interesting phrase. Um, do one of you guys want to want to take a stab at what that means, what Elisha is saying? Put you on the spot there. Because that's an interesting thing for Elisha to say at this moment, but I think it, that it's perfect. It fits perfectly with what's going on. No? Tell us. Tell us. <laughs> yeah, I, can tell, I, can, I can tell you what I think it is. So um, the same phrase is in chapter 13, um, and it's made about Elisha. In chapter 13 of Second Kings, um, whenever Elisha is on his deathbed, uh, and King uh, Jehoash, or Jehoash um, comes to him, or uh, Joash, and uh, he sees him on his deathbed. He sees that he's going to die. In Second Kings 13, verse 14, when Elisha had fallen sick with an illness of which he was to die, Joash, king of uh, Israel, came down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. So he says the exact same thing about Elisha. Um, breaking down what this is, at first reading, you would think that Elisha is talking about the chariot that took Elijah up into heaven. But I don't think that's the chariot that he's talking about. Um, chariots were symbolic of, of something. What, what did it mean? If an army had a lot of chariots, what did that mean? It was powerful. Uh, chariots, yeah. I kind of think of them as corresponding to tanks in World War I. The, the army yeah. that had tanks had the advantage. Back then, the army that had chariots had the advantage. Oh. Right. All right. And so all throughout the Bible, whenever an army is, is mentioned, it says they had this many foot soldiers and this many chariots. And that was to show their power. Chariots meant power, military might. And so what Elisha is saying about Elijah and what Joash is saying about Elisha later in his life is that that prophet, that's the power of Israel. It's not in military power. He's the power. Right there. And, you know, and you know, Jonathan, in 2 Kings 6, there's the incident when Elisha's servant goes out and sees the house surrounded by the yep. Syrian army. And, oh, no, we're in trouble. And Elisha says, open his eyes that he may see. And behold, the mountains, mountain was full of the horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. So, again, right. the Lord's army there. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so, and so Elijah being taken up into heaven, Elisha realizes he's fighting on the Lord's side. And if he's leaving, we're losing a valuable person to fight for Israel there um, and the power there. And so again, there's, there's more um, talking about the power that Elijah had and who Elijah was and how that's being placed on Elisha now. And so Elisha takes his cloak. Uh, I can't remember what I put on this. Um, Elisha takes his cloak. And, and so he physically takes his mantle and also, uh, metaphorically takes up his mantle uh, and he comes back and he performs the same miracle that Elijah did in parting the Jordan River. Um, he uses Elijah's cloak and he parts the Jordan River through uh, God's power. 
um, and he comes over to the other side. And then there's an interesting story that follows right before the story with the bears. Um, this next story that shows the, the critics or, or the skepticism surrounding Elisha being the next guy. Um, and so someone read verse 15 um, through 18. Verse 15 through 18? Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho opposite him saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. And they said to him, behold, now there are with your servants 50 strong men. Please let them go and search for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him on some mountain or in some valley. And he said, you shall not send. But when they urged him until he was ashamed, he said, send. They sent, therefore, 50 men, and they searched for three days, but did not find him. And they returned to him while he was staying in Jericho, and he said, did I not say to you, don't go? Yeah, yeah. So, so what happens after that? Elisha comes back, and what happens? Let's just break it down in our own words just to get the story straight. Well, I'm going to have to look back at it and see what happened. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, are you talking about what happened here? The 50 yeah, men said 19 through 22. Oh, I'm sorry. I was ahead. Go ahead. So there's some water that's bad, and Elisha says put some salt in it, and that purified the water, and, and those waters then remain purified from that day, and it ends with the statement, according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. Yeah, yeah. So that happens after. But whenever Elisha comes back, that story that you just read, Jeff, like what what happens there? What does that kind of illustrate? Basically saying, I told you so. Yeah, basically, basically. And and, and so and so they're skeptics. These are the men from Jericho who saw Elijah and Elisha go across the Jordan River. And then they see Elisha come back and he does the same miracle Elijah did. And they even say in verse 15, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. So they acknowledge Elisha has some power here. But instead of coming to him and saying, okay, you're the next prophet, they say, let us go find your master. <laughs> Elijah, and I don't know if these, if these men saw Elijah go up to heaven from a distance or if Elijah just relayed that information to them. It could have been either one. But somehow the, the fact came about that Elijah had been taken up into heaven because these men say, um, basically, maybe he didn't go all the way up. <laughs> maybe we need to go find him. God took him up, but maybe he didn't go all the way up. Maybe he's off in some some valley somewhere and we need to send these 50 strong men to go and find them because but, they, but Jonathan didn't, didn't yeah. they didn't they have some inclination because it says they came to meet him and bowed the uh, bowed to the ground before him so they had some indication didn't they yeah yeah they had some I mean they saw Elijah perform the miracle they saw him do the same miracle that Elijah did but they're still holding on to even though Elisha is, is making this statement my master went up into heaven they're saying are you sure? Let, let us go see with our own eyes, because we don't want to take your word for it yet. Um, Scott. Yeah, they're, they're acknowledged. They bow before him. They say the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. But when he says, no, you don't need to go look, they're not willing to take his word for it. And right. so they keep pressing and gets him to. And then, of course, sure enough, it was pointless. And that's when he says, didn't I say to you, do not go? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so there's this whole chapter and like what Jeff uh, mentioned there in the next story, Elisha performs another miracle. He, he purifies the waters, illustrating again that he has the power of God and that he is the next prophet um, after Elijah. 
But this whole chapter, all the way through verse 22, from verse 1 to verse 22, is full of proofs and criticisms. Proofs that Elisha is now the prophet after Elijah, and there's criticism. Is Elisha really the prophet? Um, and so that's, that's the background. That's setting up the story um, of, of what we're getting into with uh, these last three verses in the chapter. Um, but do you guys have any comments until we get into that story? Go ahead. All right. All right, let's jump. So um, there's there's three questions or three things that kind of happen in this story and three questions that I want to answer. I want to kind of talk about um, what happens here. Um, the story that gets presented by a Bible skeptic, like in that like in that um, uh, in that article that we referenced, is that these were little boys, lads. Um, I think Jeff's uh, translation, whenever he read it, said small lads. Um, the English Standard Version says small boys um, that they came out from the city. Um, so they were little boys. So something like this little boys, kindergarten guys, got their backpack on, ready to go to school. <laughs> and what they were doing is they were being disrespectful to Elisha, calling him bald. Say, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. And so they're just sticking, sticking their tongue out at Elisha. And then they were killed by bears because they stuck their tongue out at Elisha. So a bear came out and ate the boys. And when you present that kind of story, that seems kind of harsh. <laughs> um, say They were just sticking their tongue out. And so Elisha made some bears come and eat. Um, the boys. Um, and so I want to answer um, three questions in this story and talk about it. Were these just little boys that didn't know what they were doing? They were just harmless kindergarten boys. Um, were they just being a little disrespectful, sticking their tongue out? And were they killed um, by the bears? And so we're going to go through um, what happens here. Um, it's interesting. Um, and I'll stop uh, at certain points and ask you guys if you have any comments. It's interesting that word, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but looking at the Hebrew word that's described there um, in uh, verse 23, it says, he went up from Bethel and while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him saying, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. So that word small boys, there are two words that are used there. Um, one of them for literal or small or, or younger. And then boys is the second word. That word, the second word boys is the same word that's used of Joseph whenever he's aged 17 in Genesis 37. It's the same word used of Joshua whenever he's serving as Moses' lieutenant. He's already fought in wars and, and battles for Israel in Exodus 33, 11. It's the same word. Both of those words are actually used of Solomon. Whenever Solomon becomes king and he prays to God and he says, I'm but a, a small lad. I do not know my going in, my coming out. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 7, those two words that are used of these small boys is the same word used of uh, Solomon. Um, whenever he's talking about himself as he's serving as king. And it's the same word used of David whenever he goes out um, to fight Goliath uh, in 1 Samuel 17, 33. Um, Scott, go ahead. So maybe a good way to translate that second word would be youths. Yeah, mm -hmm. youths. Yeah, right. And and I think that there are a lot of things. I'm sorry, go ahead. And youth could have a wide range. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Youth can be, youth can be a huge range of people. Um, I'm, I'm 24 years old and I could still be described as a youth or as a young man. I um, definitely call you a youth. Yeah. Yeah. Compared to the other three guys that are in this, I'm definitely a youth in comparison. We also have an adjective that it signifies that they were small youths or younger right. youths. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they, we shouldn't be thinking that they're, you know, you would be a youth, uh, but we shouldn't think that they were 24. Right. Mm -hmm. There's also evidence we shouldn't think that they were six. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so, what's that evidence? I have, I have a couple of, of rhetorical questions up there on the screen. But what's, what's some other evidence that points to maybe how old these kids or these young men were? 
But does age really have anything to do with it? I think I think that it plays it plays a significant role. So if there's a if there's a five year old running up and and making fun of somebody rather than or a 17 year old running up and making fun of somebody, you would hold a five year old and a 17 year old at different levels of of uh, responsibility there. Um, so I think the age the age does make a difference in in what these young men are doing. Um, but I want to take note of a couple of things. How many of these young men are there or, or small boys are there? Well, 42 of them were um, disheveled or, or, or torn asunder by the bear. Yeah, yeah. 42 of them suffered injuries of some kind from these bears. So I would suspect that there are more than 42 of them because I don't think that this bear attack had a 100% success rate. That's, that's speculation. But there are at least 42. I, I suspect probably more. So this was a mob of, of people coming out after Elijah from the city. Um, and it's also interesting to note where they're coming from. Um, what city are they coming out of? Bethel. Bethel. Um, what are some facts that we know about Bethel? Bethel is the place where Jeroboam had set up uh, a, an altar in, so that the people would not go back to the house of God. Jer, uh, Solomon had built a place where he'd set up an idol, a, a golden calf, and and uh, that was that was a scene of idolatry. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, Scott. And also, what is very significant is what they say. Mm-hmm. Or they call him bald head. There's something else. Uh, yeah. Sometimes we might think, oh, well, they're just making fun of him because he's bald. But look, look what they say. There's a problem. yeah, yeah. 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 And, and, and that's a good point. So, so we'll recap, just to get this story into perspective. Elisha is walking back after his master has been taken up into heaven and he's going back through, um, back to his home. Um, and he passes by Bethel, which is an idolatrous city. It was one of the central hubs of idols in Israel. There's Dan and Bethel where Jeroboam set up those two golden calves, um, to worship uh, there instead of in Jerusalem. And this mob of of boys come out of the city, at least 42 of them, and they're all saying, go up, you bald head. Um, that's kind of, that, that's another weird phrase. There was that phrase that Elisha made, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, um, that we need to take a little deeper look at. Well, this phrase, uh, it seems that they could just be saying, get out of here. We don't want an old bald guy in Bethel. But I don't think that that's what they're referring to. What What is this whole chapter been about so far people rejecting elisha are not believing who he is yeah yeah people rejecting elisha and rejecting the story that elisha is telling that he's now the prophet and elijah has gone up into heaven so what words do these young men say go up to elisha go up what would they what would they be referring him to him by saying going up what elijah had just done yeah these are a group, how I see what's happening here. These are a group of young men coming out of an idolatrous city that are confronting the prophet of God saying, you said that Elijah went up. Why don't you prove it? <laughs> you go up too. Go up. If Elijah went up, you go up. Um, and, and it kind of reminds me, maybe to put a different spin on it, it kind of reminds me of what happened to Jesus whenever he was on the cross. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, one of the cruelest things that happened to him in Matthew 27 is while he's hanging on the cross, the people are, wa- are walking by, wagging their heads and saying, if you are really the son of God, come down from the cross and we'll believe you. If you, can, if you have this power, prove it. 
And to me, that's kind of what's happening here to Elisha. He's under, he's under criticism. He has all the skepticism surrounding him as being the next prophet. And these young men are coming out in an organized mob against him and calling him to the table, mocking him and mocking Elijah and mocking the power of God there. So on the, the phrase bald head, I think one of the points you're making here is they're not just mocking him because he has a bald head. You know, it's really pretty typical when somebody is mocking somebody else for being bald headed or being fat or being whatever. Usually that derisive mocking is, is kind of a, it represents their, they're disparaging the guy more generally. For example, if you're in a, a football stadium and somebody gets mad at somebody who's standing up, blocking the view, sit down, bald head. It's not just that he's got a bald head. It's that I'm mad at him because he's blocking my view. Or if I see some guy say, uh, hey, you old bald head, get out of my way. It may be because he has the jersey on of the opposing team. But rarely does somebody just say, just because he's got a bald head, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be derisive of him. I'm going to use that as a means of attacking him because there's something else about him I don't like. Maybe his right. race, maybe his mm-hmm. accent, maybe whatever. And I'm going to latch on to this. Right. Mm-hmm. And in yeah. this case, they are disrespecting a prophet of God and mocking him by referring to what he's said has just happened to the previous prophet of God. Right, right. And, and so I think... God's not going to put up with that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that takes a couple of different levels. One, they're mocking the prophet of God, and they're mocking God by doing that um, also. But but also what happens here, Elisha has just lost one of his closest friends um, and, and, and his mentor. He's no longer there with him. And so effectively, what I think this could be compared to today is you're at a funeral of one of your loved ones who has just passed away, and a mob of young men come out and start mocking you for being alone now, for now you don't have your close relative there. Um, that could have been what was happening, could have not been. But regardless, this is, this is mocking Elijah or Elisha for what he said was happen, had happened to Elijah. Um, and so when you put all those pieces together, I think that the, the first two questions, were these just little kindergarten boys, five-year-olds that didn't really know what they were doing, innocent, and were they just sticking their tongue out? I don't think so. Um, this is a clear act of, of disrespect directly towards the prophet of God and towards um, God himself and the previous prophet, Elijah. And like Scott said, God is not going to put up with that. He's not going to put up with the disrespect. Um, God has, has said he would, needs to be treated as holy um, because he is holy there. And so um, you get to the next little part um, in the story. Um, where Elisha turns around, he curses them in the name of the Lord, and then two she-bears come out of the woods, and they, and they tore them up, um, tore up 42 of the boys. Um, and then Elisha returns down to Mount Carmel, and then there, from there he went to Samaria. Um, so what I want to focus on, and I think because the story oftentimes when it's presented, it's presented as this big massacre of little boys by bears. Um, but the text, what I, what I want to emphasize, the text doesn't say that they died. Right. It, it doesn't say they did not die, but it doesn't say that they died. Well, what does the text say happened to those, those young men or the boys? They were more. Yeah. yeah. And let me just interject this here. I, it, maybe there's more to it that it implies that they were severely injured, but, but maybe not. If you have a crowd of 42 and bears get in the middle of there, that crowd is torn up in the sense that they're all scattered. Yeah. And uh, I mean, 
just in terms of nature, uh, if a bear, a couple of bears attack a crowd of people of 42 people, those bears aren't going to get 42 people. Not unless those people are busy standing around watching the other ones get mauled and they don't run. Everybody's going to run. And the bears may get a few of them, but they're not going to get 42. But this tore up 42. It really kind of sounds to me like uh, it, they, they violently dispersed 42 boys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Scott, go ahead. And if some of them did get killed, mm-hmm. uh, that wouldn't be surprising. You know, I wouldn't have mm-hmm. an objection if God, you know, if, if, if that had happened. But if I see a newspaper headline and it said, you know, a group of Boy Scouts were, were mauled by a bear, I'm not assuming that the group of Boy Scouts were eaten by a bear or necessarily killed by a bear, but were mauled by a bear. You know, whenever I see a report about somebody being mauled by a bear, Usually, it means they survived, but they they went away with some cut flesh and gout. Yeah, yeah, and and so mauling or, or tearing up is not is not the exact same thing, and it's not always used in the same context as killing somebody, like like Scott said, or as a death. Um, and now I, I'm not trying to to give the impression, or or I don't know what you all think. I don't think that that they just got kind of a light slap on the wrist for what they were doing. I think a bear attack is a bear attack, and they're pretty. <laughs> There are pretty severe injuries that come from a bear attack. But regardless of what happened, if they were killed or if they weren't, if they weren't, I think what these young men had earned for themselves by by disrespecting the prophet of God and by disrespecting God Himself, they had earned this penalty of being torn up uh, by by these bears. Um, Scott, I don't want to make more of that word because I'm definitely not not a scholar at all when it comes to Hebrew. But I just did a quick. Uh, with those. What's that? Sorry, go ahead. You guys are talking over each other. Yeah, the uh, that is that isn't that the same word that's used in Exodus fourteen sixteen that mm-hmm. says, "As for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. so the and, word and doesn't necessarily mean death and killing. Yeah. And eating. There is there is a word for killing <laughs> in Hebrew. Yeah. There is a word for death in Hebrew. And so why not use that word here? And again, like, like Drew said, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, um, but, but um, the text does not say that they were killed. Um, Scott, go ahead. Um, I would say that probably instead of in calling them young men, uh, since in the Hebrew we've got the one word that could be somebody as old as David against Goliath or Samson or uh, Joseph, but then since there's also an adjective showing that they were littler. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I want, I want to come back to the age of these boys. I, I think you, you've got a point you're making here, Jonathan, and let's get through that. But I want to come back to the age of these boys here in a bit. Yeah, I would, I would picture that we're probably talking about uh, either teenagers or older adolescents. Mm-hmm. I would go with 10 or younger, and I'll tell you why in a minute, but, but let's okay. go on. All right. And, well, well, go ahead. Go ahead. That they are choosing to mock the prophet of God and mock them in language to referring up to the going up of Elijah. Uh-huh. So, so as far as the age of the boys, and I don't want to take away from the point you're making. I think it's a valid point. Um, but as far as the age of the boys is concerned, uh, rather than just looking at the two words in isolation, here's this word and here's that other word, the whole phrase uh, the two words together are used, as you mentioned, in First Samuel chapter 20 and verse 35, where 
Jonathan takes out a young lad or a boy and shoots the arrow and says, go, go beyond you, it's beyond you. It's used in 1 Kings 3, 7 by Solomon, as you said. But there, Solomon is using it metaphorically. He's saying, I- I'm but a child. Uh, he's not saying um, th- this Hebrew word here, this Hebrew phrase here applies to somebody who is the age I am. But it's as if you or I said, um, I'm a babe in the woods. Uh, we don't mean 17 years old. We mean I'm like a babe in the woods. Uh, it's used in Second Kings, the fifth chapter, verse 14, when Naaman's flesh was cleansed as a little child. And there, you know, we have expressions that we'll use to talk about a baby skin. Uh, it's used in Isaiah 11 in verse 6 where the wolf will dwell with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the kid, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, a little boy will lead them. That picture is most impressive if we're talking, as it seems, about a young child, not about a 16-year-old. And it's used in 1 Kings the 11th, or, uh, yeah, 1 Kings the 11th chapter and uh, verse 17. And I believe in that chapter... I can't remember now what that one is. First Kings eleven seventeen. Let me turn to it real quickly. Um, yes, uh, Hadad was a young boy. Hadad fled Egypt. He and certain Edomites of his father's servants with him, while Hadad was a young boy. Um, and those are the places where the phrase is used. So, forty-two. You're right. You're not going to have forty-two five-year-olds wandering around by themselves. But you could have 42 9- or 10-year-old boys wandering around as a group. Uh, that's what it sounds like to me. Mm-hmm. And, but, and, and, but here's the point. Uh, Jeroboam's son died. David's son died. Will of the Lord. God said destroy Jericho utterly. Men, women, children. The Amalekites were to be utterly destroyed. There have been various times when God has brought judgment upon young children. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the young children are eternally condemned. But God has brought judgment upon them. And here, there's a point to be made. And if it be God's will that they be violently dispersed by a couple of bears, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Scott, were you going to make a point? Before keep going? No. But yeah. So, uh, so like, like we've been talking about, exactly how old these boys were, uh, the text doesn't say. There's that phrase that we can, we can use in other, in other situations to, to compare and contrast. Um, but they were at least old enough to travel around together in a large group and to choose to disrespect God's prophet and to disrespect um, God himself there. And so God chose to punish them for that and bring judgment on them. And he did that in the form of, of two bears coming out and, and tearing them, um, dispersing them violently in some way uh, and doing that. And so I think there, there are a few lessons, um, a few lessons to learn from that things. This is a story here for a reason why is this story here? Um, I think it shows that God is holy and God does not take being mocked lightly. Um, he will not be disrespected and just stand by the sidelines and not do anything about it. Um, he will have judgment for those who mock him. And so we need to be careful about whenever we're laughing at God, disrespecting God uh, in some way, because if God didn't put up with it, then he's not going to put up with it um, now. And and I think that that type of thing happens a lot. Um, just something, uh, an observation, quick observation that I have, and then anything that you guys have. Um, I know that there are a lot of today, there are a lot of, um, Christian comedians, 
um, today who are clean, who have clean jokes. You can take your family and stuff like that. Um, and, and I don't want to call anyone out specifically, but I have heard um, certain uh, comedic skits that will make fun of, of the way that Jesus walked on water um, or different miracles that Jesus did um, or make fun of God in some, some way, um, referring to him as the big man upstairs, which I don't like that phrase. Um, and different things like that. And I just think we need to be careful in referring to God or Jesus or God's, God's son in those disrespectful kind of ways and not as reverent and holy. Amen. Um, and, and if there's anything to learn from this story, it's that God doesn't put up with, if God doesn't put up with some people mocking his prophet um, and, and what his prophet did, God's not going to put up with, with those types of things uh, either in those ways. Um, but that's, uh, that's how I understand the story. It's not, I don't think the story is presented in a way where it's just some innocent children are mercilessly killed by some bears. Uh, I, I just don't see that happening in the context of this chapter. This is, this is righteous judgment, righteous punishment for a sin, for, for disrespect of God as being holy. Um, and God, like Jeff said before, if God chooses to do that, God has every right to defend his, his holiness um, in that way. 42 young boys, 40, even 10 years old. That's a lot, a lot of young boys, and they could do harm, right? But it's interesting that it took two female bears. I don't know if there's a play there or not on it, but it's not bears. It's female bear. It's not male bear. Maybe male bears would have eaten these guys up. Yeah. Well, well, what I think that is, I think female bears would be more aggressive than male bears. There's, there's the phrase you don't want to get between a, a mother bear and, its, and her cub. Oh, that's um, right. So that's right. That may be part of it, but also another point to remember is somebody not liking what God does or who He is or what He stands for doesn't mean that's not who He is or what He stands for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. That's that's true. <laughs> that if if God were a capricious, vindictive, and so on, God, uh, it would be rather foolish for me to say, "Well, uh, I don't believe in Him just because He's what I don't like." He's not a vindictive, capricious God. But but you know what? Rational people start with the question: Does God exist? Not well. If He exists, is He going to be a God I like? If not, then I'm not going to believe He exists. That doesn't make sense. That's not rational. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, but to answer the the original question, that's that's at least what I think um, about this story um, and what happens here. It's it's just it's a picture of how God responds to being disrespected, and it doesn't show Him as being capricious or cruel. It shows Him as being holy uh, and and righteous uh, and doing that. And if those boys, as I suspect most of them did, survived that mauling. Uh, they might have had a little bit more respectful attitudes afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. This is All true. He's not for the moment to be joyous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All discipline is painful at the moment, but later. Right. All right. Very good. I, I really do. It, it, when people um, start picking out some of these stories and saying, well, you know, the Bible is really this horrible story of, of a vindictive, capricious God. Look what he did here. Look what he did there. Uh, I'm happy to talk with those people about those passages. But the fact is, if that, as many of these stories as like the article you alluded to pick out, 
if somebody had read enough Bible to have just come across those stories in their reading, they would have an understanding of the context and God's overall plan, what he is doing to save mankind, uh, to, to, to know better than to just kind of chuck the whole thing based on these stories. But they haven't. What they've done is they've just picked out stories they think they can find fault with. They're fault-finding, fault-finding God. You know what? They're, they're putting themselves in the same position as these little boys is what they're doing. Uh-huh. Oh, that's a very good point, Jeff. It's a very good point. Well, that was an excellent presentation on that topic. I'm glad that we, it was timely that the question came in this past week on that very story, and uh, you had all that material together, Jonathan. I really appreciate that. Uh, guys, I look forward to it. We're way, well, we're not way past it, but we went past our time slot, so I'm really glad everybody was able to join us today. We want to invite you to ask questions like this. Ask questions about other scriptures that may have hard things to understand or may be challenging, especially if, if you're a skeptic or you're, you're, you're critical of the Bible. We would love to have you ask us questions and see how we can come up with answers. Maybe we can always come up with answers, but we invite you to ask away. Gentlemen, anything else before we close out? It's uh, good seeing all of you. Okay, it looks like we're done for today, and I look forward to seeing everybody next week. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you.